The information on this podcast is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All information contained on or related to this podcast is for general information purposes only. Hello everyone, I'm Chantal Wicks and this is Guts and Glory. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Guts and Glory. Today, we have Sean Reynolds, and he is, like us, an IBD warrior. Sean was diagnosed with Crohn's disease approximately 22 years ago, so he's uh, he's had quite the journey, um, including two surgeries, um, but he's also uh, had quite the personal journey with successes in being a dad um, and an entrepreneur. And tell us a little bit more about yourself, Sean. Um, so I'm a former actor. Um, I am the Crohn's rep for uh, Canada with the Imagine Project alongside, I think, two other people. Mm-hmm. Um, own a few companies and uh, a new dad of a little baby girl. Oh, congratulations. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Two. Now you have two. Two. Yeah. 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 Two uh, little ones. And so I've done a ton of things. I've produced movies. I've been an actor. I've had a technology company. Um, I've done all these amazing things. Uh, While having IBD. Sometimes I've been in great health and sometimes I've literally had an IV in my arm with morphine or whatever they've given me. And I've had to make phone calls and and run my company from a hospital bed. And it's, you know. Not easy. I have went to school teaching my students, you know. And now to our listeners, this is not to say that this is what you should be doing because mm-hmm. both Sean and I have also taken our rest when we needed to take the yes. rest, you know. Um, so don't feel negative or feel that you are not doing enough. Um, we've had our times when we've been superheroes and we've had our times when we have been broken. Yes. Um, but Sean's here and, you know, in the last couple of episodes I was saying that we've, we've shared have been with professionals sharing from their experience. It's, I'm really glad that you're here to share your personal experience as an IBD warrior because that's what we need to hear. We need to mm-hmm. hear that your life has sucked sometimes, but you have still come, in, you've still come, managed to come out in a way where you've had successes that you're proud of and that you've been able to have a family and all of those things. So we need to give credit to that as well, to, to your journey from start oh, yeah. to finish and your continued journey. Realistically, we're not cured. We're still living ill. (laughs) Listen, things are amazing now. I had a one-day stint in the hospital five months ago. Right. Um, And and so... Which happens. Yeah. 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 I'm sure... I can't even imagine what you might have... How did you feel, actually, when you discovered... Because from before that point, how long had it been before you were in hospital? When I first got diagnosed, it was a long process. Like Of in and out of hospital. uh, it was me going from doctor to doctor. I was in university at the time, which is a pretty stressful time. Same My parents were going years. through a pretty bad divorce at the time. And Ugh. the stress really culminated with, you know. The gut. My gut. Yeah. And every time I've ended up in surgery, it's been some big stressful event leading up to that. Um, so I didn't know what, what it was. I'm from Sudbury. My doctor had no clue. He had me go for every single test. And 20-some years ago, Crohn's and colitis was not the term it is now as known. Um, and so I had to go Definitely through. wasn't studied or talked about as much as it is currently. No. Yeah. And I remember my mom came to Toronto when I was seeing my GI. And the GI said, well, either we're going to find out it might be cancer or it might be Crohn's. And he came back. He said, you have Crohn's. And this is, again, before, you know, the internet. Like, what's that word mean? Like, yeah. And yeah. I was like, oh. Crohn's awesome. It's better than cancer because I had right, an idea what right, cancer right. was. And my mom started crying. And I guess she had a better sense of what this was going to be and, and the impediments it was going to present to me. She probably knew right away it was long term also that this was chronic. Yeah. And I was 21, 22. Yeah, I was 20. I was 20. And yeah. so 22 years old maybe. And, and so, you know, it was a big challenge. And I was this new actor to Toronto and I was a starving actor. My mom had to pay the 500 bucks a month for my medication at that time to help me, you know, so I could still make rent and do all those things, you know? So I didn't know what was coming down the pipe. And I think if somebody got diagnosed today, a quick Google search, and I think it's a little bit better known. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. And I think a lot of that, you know, Crohn's and Colitis Canada, for example, doing what they're doing, the prevalence of the disease being higher. It's not like with 270,000 plus people in Canada with IBD, you know, if if you're in a circle where people are comfortable to talk about their personal health, mm-hmm. there is no way you don't at least know somebody who knows somebody who has IBD. Oh, yeah. Like it's, but my, my, my challenge here right now is 
if somebody has diabetes, there's a famous person that everybody knows. MS. If somebody has MS, yeah. somebody has a mental health issue, 100%. there isn't one famous person that yeah. my dad or your dad or mom would know yeah. where, you know, the guy who's a guitarist for Pearl Jam has yeah. Crohn's, but there isn't like GSP. a Tom Hanks. GSP has ulcerative colitis, but he doesn't talk about That's it. That's the thing. Yeah. He's nobody, not an advocate. Yeah. Nobody no offense. He doesn't need to. You don't need to GSP. We're not saying that. We're just but you are the most famous person with it. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I... I don't know. I think he does have a responsibility nice to talk about it. About it. Is he going to not get a contract signed for this? Right. He should be, do go and speak about this. 100%. He's he's a really cool guy and I think this could yeah. bring a cool factor to yeah. to this and maybe that you know 12-year-old kid or boy or girl who's feeling terrible at themselves goes, you know what? You're a sweet role model to have. Yeah. You're great and you're successful yeah. and you're amazing and I'm going to be that. But I also discovered too, like when athletes do talk about it, like there was a, I, I don't know her name. It's terrible, but she was an American. Um, she was a gymnast, I believe. She's mm -hmm. an American gymnast. She was in the Olympics. And there was a couple of articles that ran where she talked about how she had ulcerative colitis. But then like, I just wanted to be like, well, why isn't this talked about more? Like she's willing to talk about this and our, like the media world doesn't pick it up. Like mm -hmm. it's like, is this not story worthy? Is this not amazing to talk about this athlete who's here in the Olympics, like best in the world at We a need sport. a better PR firm working for Crohn's That's and Colitis. That's what I'm saying. Because how do you get money? How do you get research? You That's know, right. even the Imagine Project, we're trying to get 8,000 people to know about this. Well, putting a, a little sticker in a doctor's office is not going to get the no. word out. You you know, Sick Kids Hospital has Ryan Reynolds talking about uh, yeah. about donating. We need a person who says, we hey, somebody. we need 4,000 people to be part of this study. And unless we get famous per people talking about this or a great PR firm, it's, you yeah, know, it's, it's a true. very slow road. And people like yourself doing what you're doing are, are part of the solution. Yeah, but I'm not famous, so... <laughs> But no, but the this is grassroots there, yeah, it's true. So you said you had two surgeries. Did they mm -hmm. come close to the beginning of your diagnosis? Were they later on? Were they completely separated from each other? They were 10 years apart. Oh, okay. So yeah. Quite. Okay. One All was right. in 2015. One was 2005. Okay. One was 2005. I was going to Germany to shoot a movie for Universal Pictures, my first big movie. And uh, you got sick. I got sick. I was about to buy a house. Uh, all these little things. Um, and then I, 2015, I had my first child on the way. I was really stressed out about it. You know, I have trouble taking care of myself. How am I going to take care of another little one? And your wife. And my wife and yeah. getting married and all those things. So, you know, a surgery or a hospital, a major hospital stay has always sort of been precipitated by something stressful. Right. Your first surgery, what was your first surgery? Laparoscopic surgery with the uh, great Helen McRae from uh, Mount Sinai. Did you have like a, a stricture or something? Was uh, yeah, I had a stricture, and they went in and oh, like opened. I had such a narrowing that you know every time I tried to eat, it was like swallowing glass. Yeah, and it was you know laying on the floor for three hours, kind of pain. Like I can't even imagine. It was next level kind of pain. Whereas as soon as I go to the hospital, they have me on morphine, and that. Dulls the pain, but it's not that like morphine you see in movies where it's just euphoria. It's just making the pain go. No, away. it just I I feel like whenever I've been in extreme because I I at one point I had pancolitis and that mm -hmm. was just like it was okay. We're gonna have to remove your entire colon. Mm -hmm. um, but at this point, you're too sick. We can't even put you into surgery. So, you know, then that's when the steroids start and the pain medication. And I always describe pain medication as it doesn't make my pain go away. It takes the sharpness out of it. Mm -hmm. So it dulls my pain. So I go from being in excruciating, I can't even breathe. My nails are digging into my, you know, my skin. I'm clenching my mouth mm -hmm. to I can relax, but I'm still in pain. That's what I feel. I and then, like you said, you watch the movies and people get the morphine pills and they're riding horses and like everything's yeah. okay, or they're just high. Like there's unicorns coming in the room. No, this is I've never experienced. Yeah. I just my pain is dulled. I just have a dull pain. Is what it turns out to I, be. I, I, it's you know? the exact same thing. For and myself. it's not something you want to stay on. Do not stay on these things. No. So your second surgery then in 2015, which is not far out, like five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It was right before my little, little guy was born and I- Your first child. My first yeah. child. And I- Oh my goodness, your poor wife. Yeah. Yeah. It was terrible. And I had the surgeon sort of push off the surgery because I knew the due date and right. I wanted to make sure I was okay. there and I okay. was 122 pounds, which is 30 pounds less than I am now. And I'm not a big guy to speak of. No. And- um. 
I had, I was in hospital. I, <laughs> it's a funny story. I was in the hospital and I was really, really sick. And I remember they had a little bed on the side beside where my wife was getting ready to go into labor and I was feeling terrible. And the nurse came in and she's like, do you need some water? Can I get you something like some pillows or something like that? And I said, oh yeah, some water would be really great. And she's like, no, I was talking to the woman <laughs> who's going into labor to have a baby. Like, like, does she want some water? <laughs> it was for my wife who's about to have a baby and I felt really dumb. Well, also too, like you think about it, like we don't, we don't often look sick. So yeah. how would they even know what you're experiencing at that point? So did you yeah. end up having surgery before your wife? No, I had it like- So you made it? Three weeks after oh, my son was born. So Luckily, not long after. My in-laws came to town and they were there to help sort of take care of things, but I was in rough shape and- and I had the surgery, and when I came out, was it another surgery similar? Like yeah, structures? very much. So they cut out another. I don't know the amount, but it was. Oh, like, so they're removing and reconnecting. Yes. Oh, okay. Laparoscopic. Okay. Uh, yeah. It was two resections. Okay. So I have less intestines than, than most people. This was your in your small intestine. Yeah. We have lots of those. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, and so when I came out, because of the surgery, I couldn't even pick my son out of the crib because I. The, well, you're first not you're not allowed, and yeah. number two, how you, you, there's no way you have the energy. Yeah, and so I I wasn't great help, and so you know, big kudos to my wife who had she's had to step up on a bunch of occasions, you know, and that really was a conversation before we were gonna have our Children. second one. Like, mm -hmm. can we do this? You know, is this something that you know what would happen if I got sick? What would happen, my son? Like, do, does he lose attention because we have a second child and I'm going to the hospital and so it's not the decisions that most people make when they're going to have, have one. No, it's true. Yeah. You had mentioned um, in the previous conversation that I had with you that there was also a, another conversation you needed to have before you ag um, agreed with your wife to have your second child with your doctor and your medications. Yeah. Tell us about that. So when we decided to have a second one, um, we, uh, you know, it was a big, long conversation, but I ended up in a hospital after we, we were trying to conceive. And when I was in hospital, they ended up putting me on a medication called methotrexate. We and all about, know this one. Mm -hmm. I didn't have I've the time. been on methotrexate too. I had very serious side effects yep. to the drug. Some people it works wonderfully for. Mm -hmm. I like I had other side effects, so I had to come off it pretty quickly just because mm -hmm. it wasn't obviously it's not good to make one thing worse while the other thing could possibly be getting better. But what did you discover? Well, about five told, minutes, ten minutes you, after I yeah. uh, I was administered it, they said, Oh, by the way, you, you can't try to conceive on this medication and we're, I was pretty frustrated. I'm like, how was I not told this was? It's interesting because those are always questions they ask a female first, right? Like, yeah. oh, are you pregnant? Are you thinking of getting pregnant? And it's, I'm assuming from, especially this experience you just shared with me, that this is maybe not a question that is asked to males. And the research is not definitive. It can affect, you know. There's a possibility. There's that a possibility, could, but right? you don't want to be playing that but game when it, you're trying to conceive. It should right? be something they ask men. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty frustrated. My wife and I are, you know, we're, we're not 20 year olds and, and we sort of thought we had a window and I thought I was gonna be on this medication forever. And I, I didn't know at the time, but my wife went outside and cried in the hallway cause she was like, okay, so we're not gonna have a second child. Um, right. Some man that was out there said, no, no, you're, you're gonna have a second child. And she kind of just sort of, you know, fluffed it off thinking, what do you know? And right. um, down the line, Dr. Silverberg said, you know what, I wanna, I want to take you off this. I want to, I think you should try to have a second one, like if, if that's what you want. But with that was a possibility I could get sick again, right? So again, a whole conversation, like, do I come off this? And so- The risk versus reward. Yeah. yeah. And so we ended up going for it. We came off it. You had to wait three months to be off of it. And that was right, right around Christmas. And we were pregnant by maybe the first or second week of, of January. So it was- You wasted no time. <laughs> We were very, very blessed uh, that how quickly things happened. Right. Um, well, actually, Sean, you just mentioned Dr. Silverberg's name. And for our listeners, even if you do not live in Ontario, in Toronto, in Canada, even, you've heard me mention Dr. Silverberg quite often, listeners. And Dr. Silverberg has joined us. He is my GI. And 
It, uh, he's also Sean's GI. Actually, he's the one who connected the both of us oh, yeah? for this episode. Uh, so we both adore Dr. Silverberg just as much. But just in case you're wondering, um, Dr. Silverberg does not pay the show. <laughs> just so happens we and when you live in Toronto you sort of know the guy because uh, if you're in the IBD world I feel like he's a little bit famous he's a guy yeah he's a little bit famous yeah. um so one of the things um he, he does all the the raptors and the leafs and I, I does he yeah yeah he's he's with Maple Leaf Sports if I'm not mistaken I tell people wow, this, this I got picked to be with him because I'm such an athlete things, you know he doesn't share things oh, he doesn't. He, he's not he doesn't he doesn't openly the only thing we know for sure is that he absolutely loves Star Wars you've seen in his office oh yeah all the time. Star Wars stuff yeah no he so, does all the and I I'm I feel like a I'm a kind of big time because I I get taken care of by the same guy who takes care of the Leafs and the Raptors. Well, I didn't even know that that I can now I can say that. So yeah. great. Um, I think one of the reasons why Dr. Silverberg thought you would be so great here, obviously, because you have a story of strength and resilience, but you have a belief very similar to myself is that we need to be our own advocates. Back to our listeners know being a VIP, you need to be a very informed patient. You need to advocate for yourself and ask for the ask the questions. And if you don't get the answers, then ask to go see someone to get the answers. So how have you, you've advocated obviously for yourself in, in, in the past. Tell us about some of the things that you've had to overcome because obviously for you, disease um, does not mean you can't be successful. I totally agree. The, the thing is me now, as opposed to me 20 years ago is very different. It's been an evolution to get in that voice for myself. hundred um, percent. I remember at the beginning, I'd go in and I'd get medication and just sort of take it at face value. Um, Trusting. Exactly. Like, okay, great. Take, thank you for this prescription. I'll see you in my six-month follow-up. And I'm at home and I'm sick and I have no weight and I'm, you know, not healthy. And it's just sort of going with the flow because they're the experts. But the truth of the matter is you're in that room for 50 minutes for your appointment. And you expect this person who sees you if for you're 15, lucky, 15 minutes, minutes, 10 minutes, yeah, that they will know anything about your health your, you know, what kind of energy you have, bowel movements, your diet, any of those things, you are your own doctor. Mm -hmm. So unless you should be going into the, into the room with a bunch of notes or some bullet points so they know where you're at. And when they make a recommendation, I'm not saying to challenge, but you, you, if something doesn't sit well with yeah. you, you should ask follow-up questions about that. And why are you doing this? And why this medication? And, you know, I think doctors have your best interests in mind. They are fallible. They make errors. They also can be tired. And and sometimes I've had doctors who've given me medication before and, and, and switched up one medication for the other and came back in and said, you know what? We made an error with that and we have to get you back on that. Right. And you don't get that very often, but I, I have a real respect for somebody who can 100%. own any... You know, I wound up being a patient of Dr. Silverberg's because my my second GI, who I adore very much, her name's Dr. Elaine Young. Um, I had gotten very ill, mm -hmm. um, and my disease had became very aggressive in my esophagus. I had massive ulcers and inflammation. It was it was quite an awful time, and and she actually said to me with tears. She was very, she was upset when she said it that. Um, she didn't have experience in IBD being this aggressive in this area of the gastrointestinal tract. And she said, like, I have to send you to somebody who is more experienced in this field. Like, I cannot continue to be your GI because I don't know how to help you. And as heartbreaking it was for me because I, I adore her, mm -hmm. um, you, like you just said, respect. I have so much respect that she did that for me. And that's how I ended up at the at Mount Sinai with mm -hmm. Dr. Silverberg, you know, because that's where I was transferred when I was ill. Um, but I've had such terrible experiences with some professionals in the medical field. But we all have to remember that regardless of the job that you have, I'm a teacher and there are really shitty teachers too, mm -hmm. you know. There are shitty police officers. There are shitty everything. Um, but it's very, the saying, trust your gut, I think to an IBD warrior mm -hmm. is possibly the worst thing you could say, because why would I trust this thing that's turning on my body? But you take it as it is. You do need to trust your gut. If you don't feel comfortable with your professional, your healthcare provider, or you're not feeling comfortable with perhaps maybe the, the journey of treatment or whatever the case may be that they may be putting you on, you need to advocate for yourself and ask for a second opinion. Mm -hmm. That is your right. You know, and doing your own research. Yes. And, you know, yes. and taking care of your, you know, if you're out partying and drinking and not eating well and pushing yourself to the limit and not having a support system around you, you, that is so 
that is as important as your medication and surgery and all those other things as, you know. Anything. Yeah. You know, if you're getting sick because of all those things, you have to be looking at, like, how am I living my life? What am I doing to help myself? And you have to be willing to make the change. Mm -hmm. And that's not to put any blame. That's part of the problem with Crohn's sometimes. I've gotten sick before and, and I think, oh, well, I ate that or I went out that night. I want to have a life beyond I'm not just Crohn's and I have to be able to, why can't I go out with some friends one that's night right. to do something? That's part yeah. of that's part of you being healthy is doing those things and having a, you know, a raison d'etre, you know? The French. A, a reason to be, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so, um, Our sound guru here, Alain, he's there smiling because he speaks French. So he knows exactly what that was. I'm, I'm a half Frenchie as, well, as well, so. So, you know, I, what I hear you saying is, is something that I believe in, you know, is obviously what many IBD warriors believe that our health, the, our approach to our disease has to be holistic. So how have you, like, what have you done personally with your holistic approach to your health? Like obviously medication, surgery, you know, we can't avoid this. People who mm -hmm. think, oh, I'm going to cure. I hate that word. I hate it. We've said it on previous episodes. People who think they can cure or people who can tell me how I'm going to cure an incurable disease as if for the last 13 years, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have tried something if I thought it was going to cure me. Like, come on. But what are some of the things that you have done? You know, what have you focused on? Are, are you active? Are you physically active? Because I know oh, this is a time. challenge, right? Yeah. Um, well, the, the, I'm I, sure you haven't always been able to be. You know, you know? I, 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 there have been times I've been in a hospital bed and I've had to plug up my IV to go to, when I was an actor, to go to an audition. I, if possible, never let disease stop me from doing what right. I want to do. Um, I was, after my last surgery, I was talking to uh, this amazing nurse, David, and uh, he's now on my softball team. I said, how long before I can be playing for my team? We're defending the championship from last year. Um, so I am out there playing sports, and I think being active, it doesn't have to be huge. It can be walking. It can be, It can be doing something around the house if you need to make it as simple as that. Um, and there's days where you just can do nothing, where you're just sort of laying in bed and just trying to get through the day. It's good to listen to your body in that way as well. Big time. Like rest is just, I, one of the things you said as well was sleep and yeah. rest. Sleep and rest. Like I luckily, my business I'm working on now, I work from home most days. So I can take a nap in the afternoon for 20 minutes if I need to. Like, you know, <sighs> sleep and rest are two different things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know? absolutely. It is. It is. And I think for myself, I struggle with sleep and mm -hmm. rest, um, mostly because I, because of my arthritis, I, I'm in a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. And being in one position for an extended period of time, I wake up in the middle of the night because I'm in so much pain. My joints are in so much pain. However, this is also something that I am now taking a holistic approach and making sure I advocate for myself. And I'm seeing all the different physicians and the different professionals that can help me because when I don't get my sleep and rest and when I push myself to my limits, which... I do often and I shouldn't, it directly impacts my IBD. Mm -hmm. But take a healthy person and take away their rest and their sleep time. And don't tell me that at the end, they're not going to feel like shit. Oh, it's so important. You know, like, and I don't think we, I think in our fast paced world, we don't take enough sleep and rest. I think that's one mm -hmm. of our things that's kind of, um, and we think rest is lying on the couch with our cell phones in our hand. That is not rest. You know, in my mm -hmm. opinion, it's not rest. It's oh, not no. self-care. I I think, you know, there's that balance between, you know, resting and being depressed and being at home and that type of thing 100%. and being active. And, you know, you have to sort of figure out what your body needs and, and, and really listen to yourself. And I totally agree, like sitting in front of a screen, laying on a couch, you know, sometimes you have to get sleep. Sometimes you have to go for a walk and, yeah. you know, and so you may have to write that out for yourself and saying, listen. As a reminder. I yeah. need to go out and walk for 20 minutes today. And you might feel terrible, but I can, I can't guarantee, but I would say in when you my, get back, you'll feel better. You're going to feel better for yeah. it. You have to tell your body, like, listen, I, I'm going to get healthy. And that for me, I used to eat not great. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, Eggo waffles no, no. and those yeah, things yeah. that you do. Oh, Eggos. You know, 20 years ago, were, yeah, pizza the, pockets. The food that was that Quick. was around was very different. Mm -hmm. I've got a really expensive blender. Every morning starts off with a nice smoothie with. A I'm lot smoothie of too. Yeah, I'm a smoothie morning. Yeah, well, I never ate breakfast mm -hmm. because, like, I never had time for breakfast. And when my disease was when my disease is unmanageable, I feel 
I'm terrified to eat breakfast. I'm a teacher. I'm right. gonna eat breakfast and you want me to go to, I can't walk out of my class of 35 students and go to the bathroom. Are you crazy? Like who's gonna watch them? Yeah, like, like poor people, like when I get back, it's gonna be sucks to your asthma or piggy. Like there's gonna be some serious things going down in there, yeah. you know? So I, d- and that was the wrong thing to do, obviously. I'm glad you mentioned smoothies. I think smoothies are a good way for a lot of people to start their day. Oh, yeah. Again, doesn't fit for everyone. And again, speak to your registered dietitian before you, you know, go down a route that might be dangerous for you. Um, how has stress, you had mentioned stress like myself. I have never had a serious flare due to something I ate, at least not mm-hmm. to my knowledge. It has been stressful situations who have put me. Um, do you have any techniques that have worked for you to help you with your stress? Um Again, this has been an evolution. When I was 20, I didn't think of this, but I do mindfulness meditation on a regular basis. I do yoga. I play sports. I find that to be really relaxed. Any stress I have in my life when I'm playing sports, if I'm chasing a ball, uh, I'm not thinking of anything else, and I walk away de-stressed. So find out what in your life you can do uh, to reduce your stress. I don't know what that is. And it could be completely unconventional. It could be. Like it, it, it doesn't have could to be knitting. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It could be dog walking. It Absolutely. could be, you know, Writing. volunteering. Yeah. I don't know what that is. Uh, for, for me, activity, I think activity is important. And I said this before, but telling your body, you know, it's time to get up and move yeah, a little bit. Th- this disease obviously is physical, but I think there's a huge mental aspect to it. Where, 100%. hey, I am sick. I'm laying on the couch. I'm sick. I'm not feeling well. I'm not going to eat food. And it it's almost like a vicious cycle. You're mm-hmm. telling yourself you're sick and you are more sick. And it's not to say there haven't been days where I've not cried in hospital or f- said, hey, why me? This is terrible. But I'm usually sort of, you know, pull myself up by my bootstraps or calling somebody in my social circle to say, hey, Turn mom, positive and- hey, brother, hey, wife, hey, best friend, like, you know, let's go for a walk or here's Here's why I feel terrible, you know. You you mentioned your you have two brothers, two brothers, and yeah. they both also have Crohn's they disease. Do. Have have you the trifecta of Crohn's? <laughs> yes. Has that been helpful to have others so close to you that you could lean on that are going through experiences similar to yourself? It's it's great. They they came to Crohn's. Like it's obviously Crohn's. awful that all of you have been yeah. diagnosed with IBD, of course. Yeah. But I find peer to peer is is so when you meet other people with IBD, it is a therapy for me. Mm-hmm. So you've had, but again, it must be difficult. You're watching two brothers. They're watching you. But has it yeah. helped you speaking to them? It, it's great. It's great. We can, we, there's a shorthand. Uh, we own a business together as well. And uh, we own a construction company together. Um, and so it's been great in that regard. Um at times, I remember I was in the hospital one day, and the reason I was making phone calls is because both of them weren't doing great. And I said, if I sort of give a half effort to this, it means more work on their shoulders, which, and they were already not feeling well. So it felt like I had to give a little extra. Right. Um, I can so, see that. But if they were both yeah. healthy, I think I would have just said, you know what? No, I'm just you guys can take care of it. <laughs> And, and especially because things. it's your brothers, like it's yeah. a lot easier to be like, no, nah, your family, like you have to deal with it. And we're so we're so close and supportive of each other. And um, my goodness, your parents, yeah. three boys, were you all diagnosed like relatively close to? Mm-hmm. Like, were you the first to be diagnosed? Were you- yeah, it's many many years apart. I, so you myself, were the first twenty years ago. Yeah. My other brother, maybe like ten years ago, and my third brother. Uh, maybe about five years ago. Were they all diagnosed around the same age as well? No. No, okay. No, no, I was in the 20s and they were older. Really? Like in their 30s it's usually, and 40. Yeah, wow. 30, 40. Yeah, so it's pretty, it's been a, it, it's been great with a shorthand. It's tough to think, you know, that the, when I have stress that there isn't that, that person who is in perfect health to yeah. take care of things. But I mean, we make it work and- you know, we have an award-winning company that continues to grow, and yeah. that's And I'm great. sure our listeners are wondering, oh, my goodness, a family of three boys who have Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, like, this in your family? Like, are your parents and your grandparents? I believe you told me that other than your brothers, you have no knowledge. It's just a great uncle who has Crohn's. Gr- but that's it. That's so, it. So, 
Yeah. Don't our, I know our listeners, their brains could be spiraling out of control right now. Like, oh, my, if I have another child or my sibling, that's not always the case. So no, please. no. It, and it, they, they haven't made an actual link yet. Yeah. Um, that... Genetics is definitely a part of the extreme difficult Venn diagram yep. that is IBD, um, but not 100% there. And I've the... thought about, I've got two children. It's, it's crossed my mind, you know. Uh, if you could pass this, for example. Yeah. Right, and... Totally. I I had children nonetheless. Uh, I am a happy, you know, person, and I there's times where I'm unhealthy, and I I roll with it. So well, you mentioned about like you've had times in hospitals where you've cried and you've been upset, and and I think it's very important that you just said that because I feel like sometimes we have a perceived. Um, pressure on us. And I say perceived because I feel like we put it on ourselves that we need to be strong when we're in certain situations, especially if we're younger or if we have people close to us in our lives, like significant others and parents. We have this perceived idea that we need to be strong because we don't want to upset others. We Mm -hmm. don't want to place that guilt. And I'm so glad you said that, but I think what's important is like you said, we have the, you, you have these moments and IBD warriors, you're going to go there. You're going to have moments where you are dark, where it's dark and it's lonely and it's, it's, it's exhausting and it's painful and it's emotional. Just don't stay there for too long. That's the key. Mm -hmm. Allow yourself to go there and then don't stay there for too long. And if you, if you're struggling being there, then get a professional to help you. I know personally myself, I've spoken to people about my mental health, professionals about my mental mm-hmm. health. That is something I didn't do it right away. And actually it was um, a, a friend of mine who said, have you spoken to somebody about like, actually the exact sentence they said to me was, have you spoken to somebody about all this shit that you go through? Because like. Pun intended. Yeah. Like I can't even imagine, like she said to me, I can't even imagine what you go through on a daily basis. Like mm-hmm. how, like you, you can't navigate this by yourself. She doesn't have IBD. And when she said that to me years ago, I was like, all I needed was somebody to tell me that, because I felt like I didn't have a valid reason to speak to somebody about mental health issues. I didn't, mm-hmm. I don't know why I put that on myself. But I, and as soon as she said that, I was like, no, but I'm gonna. Right. <laughs> Do you know, like we need to talk about this stuff and get this off our chest. Like even the decisions you had to make, like with your wife, are we going to have children? Or are we not going to have children? And then Dealing with the fact that after you were administered a medication and then they tell you that these were the impacts of it, you might not be able. That's a lot to navigate Mm -hmm. and be in pain and have all the other issues associated to IBD. This is one of those things like when you go see your doctor, they're, you know, medication and they are, you know, surgery or whatnot. But they they don't talk about like having a great social network around you, um, having friends and and, positive people, people around you that can help you and you can help them. Um, I, I go in for a Remicade infusion once a month and I end up talking to people there and I say, well, are you on the Reddit for Crohn's? And they're like, no, I've never heard of that. And you go in there and you see all these people around the world saying, well, I'm going in for my colonoscopy or I just tried this medication. And yeah. it's kind of great to hear other people going through this or who have tried this diet or have, are doing this exercise and, you know, it's like a grocery store. Do you have to buy everything on the grocery store shelf? No, but like, oh, that's interesting. I want to try that. I think the simple, the simplicity of just also realizing you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Plain and simple. Like you're not alone. IBD is, we've said many times before, is not a dinner conversation. This is not a conversation mm-hmm. you're going to have. Not often, you know, and being an invisible illness, unless you're comfortable talking about having IBD, let's like, how, how many people are you ever going to meet? unless you openly discuss it. And then online, sometimes in social media, for example, like Reddit or Facebook groups or things like that, it it gives you that connection to others like you. Granted, be careful mm-hmm. out there. Be careful with anything you find online. Um, and there are some people who, I feel like being diagnosed with a chronic illness is like stages of grief. Like you go through, and there are some people who now, now that I'm on the the outside of my, the dark negative acceptance of and now I'm ill like mm-hmm. once I've gotten past that I've accepted okay I have a chronic illness looking in now I do see some people who on social media the only thing they are talking about is negative 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 and there is no and sometimes as an IBD war like ourselves navigating through that world that could be exhausting to see mm-hmm. all the time so you also have to know when to take yourself away I've never posted on Facebook when I've been in hospital 
or when I'm in sick. And I, I don't know why I don't do that. I I never want somebody to feel bad for me. Whenever right. I say I say I have Crohn's, I have people like, oh my God, that's so terrible. And right. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. But I never want to feel like I'm a victim. You know, when I was an actor, I remember this great acting coach, Lewis Bomander, said, you're either the hero of your story or you're the victim. And in my wow. story, I'm always a hero. Like, I'm the guy who, you know, I had an audition. They plugged up my IV and I, I went to that audition. I ran my company from a hospital bed and I sold my company to a big company in the States. I, yeah. Or you could be like, oh, woe is me. That's not me and I'm not... Uh, it doesn't mean I'm not going to be upset on certain days for that moment, cry, you know, yeah, to yeah. get through that. But you're but, not staying there. But I am the guy who's getting through the fire on the other side and I'm going to be successful. Yeah. And you know what? Like not everybody has the resilience and that strength naturally to them. And I, 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 I am definitely self-proclaimed. Obviously I feel like I'm a strong, resilient person. When I'm in a room, my presence is usually not ignored, but probably because I'm a female and I'm 5'11". <laughs> I'm not that small. So realistically here I am and I have a teacher voice. Um, but it doesn't come natural. And you know what? I, when I was first diagnosed, I was I had this personality as well, even before I was ill. But I have to say that my diagnosis for a while definitely suppressed me. And, you know, I felt like I made me more quiet and timid and mostly out of my ignorance of knowing what I was going through and also out of um, embarrassment mm -hmm. and shame and stigma. Um, and I think with having been diagnosed for so long, it comes with growth. So I think some of our listeners, especially newly diagnosed or not, maybe you're not there yet. Yeah. But I think it's important that you hear people like Sean tell his story because that doesn't mean you can't get there. Well, I wouldn't be on this podcast 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. It took my agent when I was an actor didn't even know I had Crohn's because I didn't want to be a liability. And that's why when I went to the audition. Which is an honest fear of people even getting jobs. Like, yeah. I don't want to tell them I'm sick because. You know, and this you're not telling somebody you have cancer or diabetes where, you know, there's a, a, a certain thought about it. But at this point where I am, again, it's been an evolution where I'm like, I don't care what people think. This is who I am. Um, I If this can bring some attention and some positivity to it, I'm going to tell people about that. Absolutely. Um, and I get, I think I was saying, I get interviewed on other podcasts just about being a business owner, but it, on every single occasion, I want to talk about the fact that I have Crohn's because I want people to know about this. I want people to hear about this to bring about more research dollars, more awareness, because I think that's the only way we're going to move towards, you know, better treatments, and eventually cure at some point. Well, knowledge is power, folks. And the more that we educate ourselves and the more that we talk about IBD, we break the stigma. Mm -hmm. We make it more normalized and more comfortable for people to talk about. And then that naturally will hopefully relate to funding. Mm -hmm. And funding goes to research and research is eventually either going to find a secure or, you know, research. The money that's been donated to research is what is allowing you're on a biologic Remicade. I'm yeah. on a biologic Antivio. Mm -hmm. uh, this was... This wouldn't have been an option for us mm -hmm. when you were diagnosed 20, over 20 years ago. That wasn't an option. No. They didn't even exist yeah. at this time, you know? So we do. And again, not everybody not everybody with IBD is going to be somebody as comfortable as you and I to talk about it. And you don't have they, to be. And, you no, know, they don't. And maybe they never will be. Mm -hmm. You know, at, at, both of us have said at one point in our journeys, we were not comfortable to talk about these things. Now we are. Maybe those of you who are listening right now, you're not comfortable, but maybe you will be. And maybe what you maybe on your social media, you don't have to tell people you have IBD, but maybe you're sharing something that's IBD related. You read an article, share the podcast, share a Facebook mm -hmm. group that you you it doesn't have to be personally associated. You it might be just, different when you're in high school and university absolutely. to a guy. I'm now married and I have kids, and it, you have the life experience. Yes, <laughs> yes. I'm. Yes. You know, it, it, it's just you've a been different, there, done that. Yes, so. <laughs> And the thing, too, that I said, like, I'm not going to let this stop me and I'm going to get through it. Well, there's probably some people out there who have the disease m much more severe than myself. And I don't want them listening going, well, well, why aren't I able to do this? I'm lucky. I'm putting quotations here. Air quotes. He's I, doing air quotes, guys. Where my disease is, is where I can do this. And there's been times where I have been able to do it. And there's some people who that, their normal is my worst day. Absolutely. And so they may be at home going, well, who the heck is this guy saying like, 
just push through it and go, well, on my worst days, I couldn't have been that guy. And I've been lucky that I have more good days than bad days. Yeah. And it allows me to to get through and have certain success. And you have to determine what your own success is going to be. And, and, you know, maybe your success is just getting out of bed today. Yeah. I was just going to say, we, we've had a personal trainer come on before. His name is Mike. And he has talked about um, uh, he his struggle with his disease and how... You know, he, he said one of the things that he used, he did when he got past the, I need to get out of bed today, was he like, he literally got up and he said he did like five squats holding a broom mm-hmm. over his head, you know? And, but even that, like, good on you, buddy. Mm-hmm. Like, that was his personal goal for that day. And he, he did it, you know? And then maybe the next day it's, I'm going to get up and do five squats and I'm going to walk around the kitchen three times. You know, there has been times when, like I've said before, I've been so ill and when I've, come out of when I've started my climb upwards as as opposed to backwards I I've basically had to learn how to walk I had to walk mm. with assistance I needed a cane I had to use a the double walker first and then mm. I had to go to a cane and then from a cane I was able and I went to therapy because I was so malnourished and I had lost so much weight so quickly that like I basically had muscle atrophy and I had lo- I did not have the strength so even like getting up and doing five squats with the I wouldn't have been able to do it mm-hmm. You know, so depending on where you are in your disease and it can go backwards and forwards, sideways, diagonals and twist around in a circle, your goals are, are going to be different. Oh, yeah. But I think I think what you said, writing things down, you said it twice. You said write down your goals, like things that you have. And you also mentioned going to the doctor and writing down your questions and your thoughts. That's actually something I started. I've started doing in the last only the last two years. Shameful to admit it. Poor Dr. Silberg. He sees me coming in with my nope. <laughs> my pencils in my hands and I'm ready to go. But physically, the act of physically writing it down, I feel like you're like more inclined to get the answers when it's written down and to do what you said you're going to do because you've written it down. And the doctor, when they see you come in, I use this great app called Evernote. Okay. So, you know, I can, it's amazing. It's a free app. Yeah. Uh, I use it for myself from a business standpoint and, and personal. Yeah. And I, I want to say this. You as a person with Crohn's, all of us with a person with Crohn's, this is our part-time job. It's your full-time job. Like you going out, figuring out what I'm going to eat, all these sort of things. So as part of my part-time job, I (laughs) write down, okay, here are the questions I'm going to ask. When I walk into my doctor's office, I want to go through these four things. And he, he knows I'm serious about this. He understands that I'm not just sort of coming in and sort of like at his whim and sort of, I, I've read about this article. I've talked about this medication. And, and that way you don't get lost in the shuffle of the, of the appointment. Well, you said, you know, being with a, a with Imagine, they're mm-hmm. very much about patient-doctor relationship. That this they like, this is a relationship that, you know, co-decision-making, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So, but I was not always there. I took what I was told and I didn't question it. Nothing, mm-hmm. just like you said, like this, this happens and we do need to come back to being VIPs. We need to inform ourselves. We need to ask the questions. There are so many times when I didn't physically write things down that I went into a doctor and by, by the time I left, I was like, oh, well, that's the problem. I didn't ask this yeah. question. And I, it's like, I remember in university, you write an exam. And by the time I would get out of the exam hall and to the subway station, I'd be like, oh my God, I forgot to write in one of the questions. I should have said this instead of this. But it's so important to write things down. But not just that. You write yeah. down the questions you have before you go into the doctor's yeah. office. What's your doctor telling you while you're in there? Well, listen, I want you to start taking calcium pills or you you should yeah. be, you know, talking to this dietitian. Or if you're not taking notes while you're there. Yeah. And think about the times that you've come out of a colonoscopy where you're coming off all those drugs <laughs> and they're telling you, you stuff. <laughs> you know, have no idea like, what they've what? told you. And so <laughs> the person who's with you, I always tell them, can you please take down some notes about what he said? Because I'm not going to know what he said. No, I think, but you, I'll be, I don't know about you, but when I'm coming off of any type of anesthetic, I, I always, I think yeah. I am cognitive. Like I think like yeah. I can hear you. I know exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you. I think my eyes are wide open. Yep. I think I have a smile on my face. I think I look okay. <laughs> like, 
But then I get home afterwards and I'm just like, oh God, like, look at me. We <laughs> should do a like... video log of that. I think that'd be better. <laughs> like how I actually am. Yeah, but you, you mentioned something, the person who you were with, get them to write down notes. That's another thing. Mm-hmm. If you have, I hope you have somebody in your life who you trust to take into these. It doesn't have to be a loved one. It could be a friend, a colleague, if they're comfortable with it. But I do think it's very important that when you do go to see specialists, when you go to appointments, that you should bring someone with you. Oh, yeah. Because they hear things that you don't hear. Um, They might also hear something that they ask a question for as an outsider. And you're Mm -hmm. like, oh, my God, I'm so glad you asked that question because I needed to know that. If my wife can't be there at an appointment... I sometimes will put her on FaceTime or on speakerphone so she can... Just be a part of it. it, it yeah. I'm in that appointment for five minutes. She can walk away from the office, take a 10-minute break, or you know, she's on that leave right now. So she's kind of a VIP, too. She's a very important partner. The, yes. I'll that's like my you, husband. Same. The health I have today is because of Melanie, because of my wife. Um, I I eat so differently and more healthy. And she, she I'm very, very type A. I'm trying to take on the world. And I guess the opposite of type A is type B. Is I guess. What it is? And <laughs> or she's, B. I don't know. She's relaxed. She's calm. She's meditative. And I, the health I have today and the person I am today is 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 just so much because of her. I'm so lucky to have her. Oh, Melanie. Yeah. So nice. Yeah. My, I'm um, actually my husband who's who's in studio right now. He's mm-hmm. just the silent. He's he's back there. But since I have been with him and we've been together now five years, I guess we just got married in July. Oh wow, great. Um, my uh, my health has been better. Makes sense. It hasn't been great, but I've had less hospital stays with him, um, and he forces me oftentimes to take for me to take better care of myself because he's on the outside looking in and he'll say to me like you've had like you haven't slept in this many days we've been way too busy like we need some time we need some downtime yeah you know or we haven't been active like we should go to the gym we should go for Mm -hmm. a walk we should do you know I have I still struggle with my mental health even today like the 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 feelings of, you know, stress and I have very high anxiety and panic attacks and stuff. And just having someone else there as a calming person um, that I trust and that I can lean on, I, I totally get, you know. I think we're married to the same person Your almost. Melanie is my Daryl. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yes. The yin and yang of, uh, yeah, of VIPs. But I also do feel like we've got, like, I don't know about you, but I have wicked people in my circle. Mm-hmm. Like I've got the, I've got some, I think my people, your people, maybe, I don't know who's better people. We should but, do like a family feud, know, like a yeah. VIP feud. Yeah, and... but like we've got, I've got some great people in my corner. Oh yeah. No, yeah. I'm so lucky. When I went into surgery, when the, uh, when my, fir- my, my son was born, um, we we're, I had this thing, I won't let Crohn stop me. And I said, we're still gonna have a dinner party, even though I was super sick. And they arrived for this dinner party and I was on the floor and they had to bring me to the hospital. And I literally went right from the hospital in the surg- like right. into my surgery. And it was my friend and his wife who were just like, okay, we'll take you there. And I spent a day and a half there with me straight because my wife was nine months pregnant. Right. And it's about having great people around you. And- Have you had people in your life who you've had to cut out? Because of negative energies or, I'll be yeah. honest, I have 100% yeah. family and friends. I've had to be like, no disrespect to them. And I, I wish you all the best in your, in your life. And this is a conversation I have with them. But unfortunately, we are not, this is not a positive relationship for either of us. So I'm going to go my separate way. Yeah, I, I've done it. And I don't know how I did it so much of like, hey, I'm not going to talk to you. I, I maybe don't tell them, but you know, phase it out or yeah. make it very periodic. And, and that's super hard to do, mm-hmm. but... To our listeners, that's also something that you must do. Oh, yeah. If somebody is not contributing to, if you're someone who's contributing to your health in a negative way, whether it just be their presence or things they say or whatever, then stop, mm-hmm. stop having them in your life. It's it's everything. Like you could be watching the news every day and seeing all this negativity. Oh, I can't even watch the and news, dude. There's so much great even. positive stuff out there, and and you know, bad news doesn't sell newspapers. And the thing is, you know, feeling positive. Doesn't. Yeah. Well, ba- sorry, bad news sells newspapers, good yeah. news doesn't, right? Yeah. And having great positivity in your life, I think that that adds to your health. 100%. Um, I think having amazing VIPs around you adds to your health. And so that's part of those things you need to write down is what does your day look like? You know, what great positive things are you bringing into your life? What are you doing positively for yourself? And, you know, if your day is, hey, I was on Facebook all day and I watched TV and I, you know, I didn't 
I, I, I'm by myself. Maybe you, you're on your own and you're not spending time with other people and um, because you're feeling terrible about your Crohn's and all those things is saying, well, you know, there's this Crohn's group that meets once a month or mm -hmm, there's this yeah. other thing or I can't leave the house and I'm going to join this like this video group or there, there's a lot, lot of amazing things nowadays that weren't around 20 years ago. I'm not saying it's amazing to have Crohn's nowadays, but it's a very different world than it was even five but years I, ago. I feel like having IBD in today's world, at least you, it, your tool belt has the ability to be more stocked than it was before. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot more resources available to you than there wasn't before. And I hope that this world continues to evolve because there are still gaps. We are still not perfect in, oh, yeah. our, in our world of managing IBD, but we're getting there. Oh, definitely. So that's a good thing. Oh, yeah, just, you know, you know be, be an advocate for yourself, Absolutely. get out there and have some positivity around you. And if you, if you don't have great people around you, there are people around there that who doesn't want to help somebody else and make them feel better. I, I know I feel great about myself if I can go out the and pay it forward. It is oh, yeah. really great. Yeah, it is. I believe it. Yeah. So just before we go, um, you can find Sean on Twitter. Can I mm -hmm. share that? Yeah, sure. So Sean, S-H-A-W-N underscore Reynolds. He has a brother. His name is Ryan Reynolds, but it's not the actor Ryan Reynolds, apparently, but that's how you spell the last name. Um, the Imagine Spore website is actually good for mm, people great. to go to. Um, and we've posted about that before, but we'll definitely post it again. Just to look at the research that's happening and what's going out there. And perhaps maybe you're one of the 8,000 people who can be involved in these studies. Or you know somebody. Absolutely. And maybe if you post this podcast, somebody who is a great person for this will actually, you know, we'll be at 7,000. And you know, Absolutely. how can we not get 8,000 people across, you know? Yeah. And you had mentioned Reddit. So if you go on Reddit, there's also, yep. a, it's just at Crohn's disease. They have a, a thread. It's threads mm -hmm. on Reddit, is it? It yes, is. Yeah. yeah. Threads on Reddit about um, Crohn's disease. Um, but again, you know, navigate your social media. If you're comfortable face-to-face -face meeting with people, that's great. If you're not, then try an online community. Try a peer-to-peer -peer support group. I know through Crohn's and Colitis Canada, you can join and have a mentor um, matched with you and talk that way. Don't be alone mm -hmm. in your disease. Crohn's is the fastest growing disease in the world Crohn's right now. Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, yeah. Both. Every time I tell somebody I have Crohn's, they say, I think I have Crohn's or my friend has, like, there's somebody out somebody there. Somebody who knows somebody who knows. Yeah, 100%. So. Which is sad. It's really. terrible. Like, it's terrible to find that. But it's also, for me, it's a breath of fresh air to be like, yeah, you do know. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to tell you my 60-second elevator speech. I do mm -hmm. it anyways. Yeah. You know, it's important to advocate. But there's that VIP right there 100%. for you. Like, hey, I'm going through a tough time and, and they maybe get you. Yeah. And, um, I had a parent who said they thought they might have it uh, at my son's school. And I was like, hey, let's go grab a coffee and, about it. Yeah. and talk. And whenever I'm at, at the Remicade Infusion, you know, there's that, you know, teenage kid there who looks kind of lost. And I'll always take a moment and just go over and say, hey, what's going on? What, you know, how yeah. old are you? What are you doing at school? And how are you getting through this? And if you are that person who's outgoing, you know, be outgoing and go maybe extend a hand to somebody who can maybe, you know, give them a little pick me up. And try not to feel shame. And I know it's it's easier said than done. I felt yep. the shame, but this is not your fault. And it's great no. that someone like Sean has come on to share his experience because not all of us are open about it. Um, but we hope that by listening to this episode and hearing about Sean's journey and his successes and how he's managed to get through things and his ups and his downs, that you'll find strength too um, in your journey. And we wish you all the best. And remember, you can follow us on uh, social media on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Guts and Glory and our podcast is available streaming on Spotify and Apple and on FM Player and all your favorite podcast apps. So we thank you for listening. We wish you all the best. Until next time, strength and positive thoughts. Thanks for listening to Guts and Glory. This podcast is produced by Bang Albino Inc.